Yeah, when you get older, scoring becomes something entirely different. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was actually good. Uh, not that they're not all actually good. They're all they're all really good. Um, yeah, I understand. Although now I'm thinking about like my grandparents scoring. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, welcome to another episode of Screen Fix, the show where we will fix a recent film and give you a little bit of movie news. With me, as always, are the co-hosts that carry the show. Uh, how are you? Say hi to everyone, Lady Juan. Hi, everybody. And Mustachio. I'm back. Nice. Okay. And uh, <laughs> did you do anything? That was a little Aer- Aerosmith. Is that like a an old reference? Is that too old? <laughs> I'm back. You I'm going to that I'm right. gonna say no? it's too old because I don't know it. Hey, you, oh, okay. And you're the barometer of young <laughs> Yeah. That's how it works. Young and hip. Young and hip lady wise. <laughs> Me and Mustachio, we're just old fogies up here. Uh that's that's partially true. Um, so, <laughs> but I'm gonna go to Mustachio. Mustachio, did you do anything this weekend that was uh, film related? Tell us anything that you did. Maybe you wrote some To Kill a Mockingbird fan fiction. I don't know. Like, uh, what did you do? <laughs> <laughs> to fan fiction? Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. I. I don't know, man. You are our source of Criterion. You are the person on this show that gives us the clout, the the high the high mindedness, the the haughty, uh, the haughty, cla- the, the haughty naughty. Well, not naughty, but the, the haughty. Well, yeah, a bit with the haikus. Right. Well, you, you... birds, man, just fucking birds over here. <laughs> wow. Hide your chickens. If you have chickens in the backyard. Oh, can you imagine like cracking open an egg for an omelet and like mustachio's head? (laughs) Just some hair from my mustache. (laughs) Oh. Uh, This took a turn. Uh, So did you you do anything film related at all? Please Um, steer this in a positive way. No, I just uh, made some omelets and... um... Rubbed him in my mustache. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I haven't. I haven't been you doing did anything. Nothing man. this weekend. Did were you awake this weekend? I, I was. I was awake. I was um, uh, hanging out with friends. I was. Ah. Uh, and what did you do with these these friends? Air quotes. Uh. Yeah. Fr- friends. Um. Well. <laughs> I um. Wait. Why is this so secretive? What did you do with these <laughs> friends? Who are these friends? <laughs> That it's very that it's well, difficult for you to talk I'm, about. I, I went to a conference. I'm not allowed to talk about it. It's the secret prosthetic conference of the underground prosthetic oh, shit. Oh, so, that's right. You were telling us about this yeah, underworld of, so, of like let's just uh, keep prosthetics. It, keep it like low with the questions. I can only assume there was an exclusive screening of uh, Skyscraper, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we ripped it apart. We we're like, uh, that's a fallacy. That. That was beautiful. That was uh, There was well an exclusive done. showing of Skyscraper at the Prosthetics Conference. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is so funny. And I brought with I'd it so... y'all's ideas for okay. improvisational prosthetics. Yes. What are the crazy a- uh, conference after parties like at a prosthetics conference? Oh, they're wild, man. <laughs> it's like Ready Player One in the club, uh, except, except uh, legs are falling off and... <laughs> 
it's chaos. Like, okay, so at at these conferences, when you get a hand job, it just means that you <laughs> secured like a contract to make a hand. Yeah, it just means you're making an upper extremity prosthesis. It's kind of right. lame. <laughs> Yeah. How many hand jobs did you uh, get at this conference? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I'm not allowed to talk about that. <laughs> okay, All right, let's move on, uh, Lady One. I'm not going to ask you about that, but um, <laughs> what did you do this weekend, Lady One? Film related or anything at all? I mean, maybe you made your own line of Lady One uh, aphrodisiac candles. <laughs> Whatever. I, I don't know. What did you do? Well, Sunday was the Masters. So oh. I took a nap with the golf channel on. And then <laughs> when I woke up. Thought we were about to find something out about golf. Yep. <laughs> no, no. When I woke up, Bobby Jones' Stroke of Genius was on. And I was just watching like the big climax where he's like, you know, playing a really important round of golf. And all I could think was how I wish it had been like intercut with Happy Gilmore. And how that would have just been way better. I wanted Bobby Jones to be playing Shooter McGavin in the finale. (laughs) So we will be in this episode fixing Ready Player One, the Spielberg extravaganza, Ernest Klein book. We will also be breaking down the solo trailer. Let's go ahead and dive into our first bit of movie news, shall we? Is everybody ready for that? I think so. Yes. All right. So I've wanted to talk about this for a while. This is the long-awaited poster child for production problems. <laughs> it's crazy. We got we got an actual trailer. Terry Gilliam's The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. This movie has been beset by natural disasters, legal problems, money issues, so many things. This movie has been... 20 years in the making they started production on this thing the first time in 1998 this movie can vote this movie that's how old this movie is this movie's legal the first incarnation of it had jean roquefort or roquefort i I really don't know uh i don't know how to say that uh roquefort isn't roquefort a kind of blue cheese it's definitely a cheese that's another name for that's another name for blue cheese, right? Roque, Roquefort. <laughs> anyway, so Gene Blue Cheese was Quixote, <laughs> and Johnny Depp was actually uh, in the role of Toby uh, Grissoni, who was a 21st century marketing executive who goes back in time, and Vanessa Paradis was the female lead. This was in 1998. Uh, they actually began shooting in 2000, but sets were destroyed by flooding. People left because they got sick. There was in- insurance problems. They even made a documentary about how disastrous this film was. It's called Lost in La Mancha, which was uh, released in 2002 uh, multiple times. There were various actors in and out. Robert Duvall, John Hurt. Johnny Depp, Ewan McGregor, Michael Palin. So finally, in March 2017, uh, the movie did move on with Adam Driver playing Grissoni, the role that was originally Depp's. And Jonathan Price came on as Quixote. And finally, this thing is going, even though there is a legal dispute right now. Terry Gilliam is suing 
this producer who's trying to stop the film from being released because he says that he technically owns the film, even though Terry Gilliam is like, you didn't give us any money, so you don't. And this movie is just beset with problems, but we finally, after 20 years, saw a trailer to this movie, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. What did you think, Lady One? Well, I don't have anything near as long as that buildup to say about the trailer, um, <laughs> but it looks good. <laughs> I mean, does the movie interest you? Are you an Adam Driver fan? Most definitely. Yeah. I'm going to say halfway through The Last Jedi, I started to realize I might have a crush on Adam Driver. So that happened. (laughs) Um, Crushing on Kylo. Was it his voice? (laughs) Um, Yeah. So he he looks awesome in this. I'll definitely see it. And it did make me think like, oh, maybe I should reread this. But then like, nah, I'm not going to reread anything. Not going to (laughs) reread anything. Okay. How about you, Mustachio? The man who killed Don Quixote. Destined to be in the Criterion Collection. Oh, for sure. One day. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's definitely gonna be. It's definitely gonna be on there. Um, it 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 felt really good to see this trailer. I watched uh, Lost in La Mancha ten years ago. It was like one of the first things on Netflix I ever remember watching. Nice. And, and like it, I that movie Lost in La Mancha made me realize how terrible it is when movies get like just sacked and all these props go into these warehouses or they go into like the wood chip grinder for the movie yeah. industry and it was so sad like oh it was depressing as fuck to see how right. a movie can like just go in the tank and that's when I started to really love Terry Gilliam I mean I was watching Fear and Loathing um, I was watching Insert This In Later, my other favorite Terry Gilliam movie. <laughs> uh, by the way, I love that the movie, this is going to sound weird. I love the movie Time Bandits. Do you love Time oh, Bandits? It's, it's my, one of my best friend's favorite movies, and I've never yeah, watched time, it. Remind me what have. that is. Time Bandits is one of my favorite movies of all time. I've seen it maybe 20 times. It was one of those Fuck. movies that I rented on VHS over and over and over i am dating myself Uh, (laughs) (laughs) it is basically these little people have stolen this map from essentially god or the creator and they are basically just going through different time periods collecting treasure and they they pick up this kid along the way and then they uh the devil makes a fake place on the map where they where the most fantastic object in the universe is so now they go to the time of legends to search for the most fantastic object in the universe and they go there and then there's just this massive battle where god is testing his creation that sounds super weird it's super weird and it is super are there puppets well, uh, there are no puppets. What feels like there should be puppets? Well, there's a moment where somebody is performing puppets for Napoleon Bonaparte, and then they kill him. Well, yeah, that uh, would put but... an end to the puppets, wouldn't it? Right, right. Okay. It also has Catherine Hellman, who played Mona in Who's the Boss. <laughs> <laughs> so if that's not enough of a draw, something wrong with you. That did it. Anyway, that sold it uh, right there. Yeah, that that did it. Who's the boss? 
how about this movie in particular? What about the trailer made you uh, excited for it? Okay, so the trailer like had me kind of captivated because finally I'm seeing something that's coming into fruition. I saw the old footage, and I also saw what they tried to make the giants look like. They were basically these just like fat men running across a field. And how he wanted to scale them to look like these massive giants that Don Quixote sees. And now we actually have legitimate good CGI used in the trailer to show that these these giants are fucking huge. And they're uh, looming over this you know area where Don Quixote has to best them. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm interested in seeing how Jonathan Price is his name? Jonathan Price? Yes. And he he freaks me out because he was the the high sparrow. He was the high sparrow in Game of Thrones. So to enjoy him as like whimsical Don Quixote, I'm gonna have to do some serious brain wipe. Are you an Adam Driver fan? I'm not on board just yet. Adam Driver, I don't know what it is about him. I I, I feel like him and I wouldn't be friends. <laughs> yeah. What about in Logan Lucky when he's got a prosthetic arm? Like, are you on board with that, Greg? Oh, okay, yeah, we'll be best buds then. Okay, cool. I actually feel like out of all three of us, he would hang out with you the easiest and the most. <laughs> God damn it. Okay, I got to um, I gotta take that back. Um, I don't feel that way. He's like a power human. Like he's just one power of those people human. who's just like Is really- a clinical phrase? Yeah, I've, I mean, I use it all the time to describe people who are power humans. Um, hmm. Is that like superhuman? No, like he's just one of those people, like Prince was a power human, like just they could do a wide range of things that you wouldn't necessarily expect them to go together. Like Prince was an amazing musician and also could play basketball, like things that don't necessarily go together, like being a great singer and a great dancer. That's not going to surprise anybody. That's still great. But like Adam Driver is a veteran of the Marine Corps and also graduated from Juilliard. Like he's Jesus. a power human insert shoe into mouth sorry (laughs) you could be friends what are you stupid no (laughs) i think he is very versatile i think he's more versatile than maybe we want to give him credit for because he does kind of just look like a tall kind of it's gonna sound terrible tall kind of big eared almost like he he almost looks like a big dope but then he's so versatile and he proves you wrong about that assumption at every turn that is adam driver to me (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i I feel funny inside you crushing on kylo as well there's a little tingle in my tummy maybe a little twitch in my inner thigh don't fight it Are you giving anyway. in to the dark side? <laughs> I am. Uh, so I'm also very much looking forward to this film. 20 years in the making. And I am very happy that this trailer is out. Despite the fact that there might even be more legal problems. It might not even debut at Cannes because of this. But I'm not going to say too much about it. <laughs> who knows what the heck this is going to be. 20 years of production problems. Let, let's just hope we get something that we can watch from, from Terry Gilliam at this point. So we're going to move on to the next item. So did any of you guys see the Conan the Barbarian remake with Jason Momoa? Nope. No. And neither did anyone else. 
<laughs> Yet, I think because of the Wonder Woman effect, we are getting the female version of Conan, which is Red Sonia. Uh, Red Sonia originally came out. It was a spin-off film of the original Arnold Schwarzenegger, Conan the Barbarian. Red Sonia now has the writer of X-Men First Class, so this sounds like something that they're definitely going forward with. Of course, this takes place in the same universe as Conan, the same like Bronze Age continent. It's a uh, hyper, hyper... Bronze Age what? <laughs> sounds like a shout-out to the Bronze Age. That was a shout- <laughs> Bronze Age what? <laughs> Bronze Age in the house? <laughs> like, I don't know what that was. That totally was a shout out, wow, to the Bronze Age. (laughs) That hasn't been done on a podcast probably ever. These movies take place in, of course, a fictional legendary northern land of the ancient Greeks called Hyperborea. Hyperborea? (laughs) They might as well call it Hypersnoozia. Oh my goodness. So anyway, these things, these these books and this stuff were all take. They were all created by uh, Robert E. Howard, and they're like sword and sorcery tales. And uh, this age, this Hyborian age, is supposed to take place sometime after the sinking of Atlantis and before the beginning of recorded ancient history. So this is kind of like ancient ancient history. Uh, this sword and sorcery <laughs> kind of stuff. Anyway. Red Sonia. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's coming out whether we like it or not. The people like strong women. They like them in armor. Are any of you looking forward to the Red Sonia reboot written by the person who wrote X-Men, Mustachio Go? I mean, I, yeah, I saw Red Sonia when I was a kid. Um, definitely, um, definitely can't talk about how happy I was to see a movie like that when i was a kid um arnold schwarzenegger's you know doing his thing bridget nielsen eh, didn't look so good but what's her name sandal bergman uh that didn't oh my god didn't work so well that's that was i, I just made it weird again <laughs> um it's okay oh uh, yeah I mean, Red Sonia's kind of weird. She's a she-devil with a sword, as they say. She's whooping ass and painting it red. <laughs> she was kind of forgettable, to be honest. I mean, I I remember liking, like, Kroll so much more. And then Conan the Barbarian, Conan the Destroyer. That one kind of fell by the wayside for me. I was like, did I see that? Yeah, I saw it, but it was like when... What's her name? Uh, Sandal Bergman and Arnold Schwarzenegger were in the other movie together, the Conan the Destroyer. Was that the second one? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. With God damn it! What the hell is his name? Rare Elements. Rare Elements. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, Darth Vader. Yes, James Earl Darth Jones. Vader. Yes. Oh. With actually, no. I thought James Earl Jones was in Beastmaster. I don't know. No. James Earl Jones was the Serpent King and Conan the second one, whatever the fuck it was. Conan the Destroyer, yeah. Conan the Destroyer. I don't know. These things all blend together, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
beast man like beast man had like the ferrets and shit yeah beast beastmaster had the the ferrets and i i remember as as a kid when i watched beastmaster and one one of the ferrets gets falls in some fire like when he's like saving oh, yeah. someone at the end i was i was so upset <laughs> you you did you stop the tape i stopped the vhs tape and I said, we need to return this back to the VHS Shack. Located off Highway 56. <laughs> they, they had to have injured an animal in this movie. They were going to re- remake this movie actually in 2010 with Rose McGowan. But she suffered some kind of injuries that damaged her right arm. Mm-hmm. And she uh, did not want to do this film and then there was another they were going to do it again this time with amber heard huh. uh, and that one also fell through that's funny it's just like women co-starring with jason momoa because rose <laughs> mcgowan was in the conan remake yep and then of course amber heard is is one of the at um atlanteans queen lady in... whatever yeah i think that's queen, her name uh queen lady whoever yeah are you interested in seeing any kind of sword and sorcery ancient ancient film red sonia thing lady one at all it's not really my vibe i feel like it's not anyone's vibe i mean it's somebody's vibe somebody's into it i mean those things were kind of culty um like wasn't it said that arnold schwarzenegger is going to star in another one or something and he's going to be like the king and it's going to leave off from like the Destroyer movie, right? They wanted him to be like an aging Conan that yeah. is a king now, uh, if they were gonna redo it. But even that, I don't think anyone's going to that either. Yeah. Do you have a, an actress choice for Red Sonia Mustachio? <laughs> so she's got to be red. Is this? Do I have to stick I mean, to those guidelines, or can I have? Free no, form? I mean, if you were gonna pick outside of the redhead trifecta of Hollywood, which is uh chastain stone and adams <laughs> i don't want to see and some girl like out there who warrior. weighs 115 pounds being sonia like cersei like sarah's saoirse ronan saoirse damn it <laughs> who is your absolute worst red sonia who is your most miscast red sonia <laughs> who's who's the most miscast i think i, think I just a... said mine <laughs> all right go ahead who, who's yours um chloe 70 <laughs> That's your miscast red Sonia. <laughs> That's my miscast red Sonia. Who's your, who's your mid miscast red Sonia lady one? I'm gonna go with Ashley Tisdale. <laughs> <laughs> Who you got? Hillary Duff. I did think my about Hillary Duff. <laughs> Duff. <laughs> my most miscast red Sonia is Zoe De Chanel. <laughs> yeah, what are you? <laughs> I'm here on this journey. Yeah. Was that Kermit she the Frog? Like a female right? Kermit. She kind of sounds like a female Kermit the Frog, no? No. All right. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Red Sonia is coming out. We've given our absolute <laughs> worst castings for it. I think that was fun. Uh, Top that, Hollywood. Boom. Let's move on. So, speaking of female characters. Mm-hmm. Indiana Jones 5. It's It's been said that Indiana Jones 5 is going to be Harrison Ford's last go as Indiana Jones. Steven Spielberg came out and said, yet he wants the series to continue. He said maybe a woman as the lead and said Indiana 
Jones, J-O-A-N-S. Wait, Indiana Jones is turning into a woman? Yes. Uh, yes. The series ends with him under undergoing gender <laughs> reassignment surgery. Uh-uh. No. Uh-uh. Anyway, they may recast this as a woman. Uh, he's he's obviously joking about Indiana Jones, J-O-A-N-S, but who who do any of you have? If this is going to go, uh, first of all, are you excited for Indiana Jones 5, even though Harrison Ford is literally about to turn 70? And uh, He's not 70 yet? <laughs> he might be. I might be completely wrong. Let me look this up. Hold on. It's a race. Oh, but I can't do math. He's 76. Uh, Jesus. Or okay, 75. And guess what? This film is not even slated till like 2020. So he's literally going to be 78 when this movie comes out. <laughs> Dude. Uh, are we excited to see 78-year-old Indiana Jones? No. Well... <laughs> I mean, come on, Sean Connery was old AF. Junior? Yes, sir. It is you, Junior. Don't call me that, please. He was not that old. Uh, how old was, okay, Siri, how old was Sean Connery in The Last Crusade? Sean Connery was 59 years old when Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade was filmed. He had gray hair and had saggy, sad, little useless balls. 59 what? so he yeah. was he wasn't even 60 no so we have indiana jones about to be 80 and packing up his whip and his diapers and going on another adventure first are we excited about seeing that and second what female do we have taking up the mantle of indiana jones trading in our fedora for some stilettos no stilettos don't go on your head girls can wear fedoras stilettos too do- all right okay very very true i am i am sexist and sorry <laughs> Mustachio, Dr. Jones, tell us, are you excited for 80-year-old Indiana Jones and what female can take that place and fill those fedoras? Okay, um, for this role, I really like Haley Steinfeld Ooh. because, I mean, she kind of looks like she could be the child of Harrison Ford. There's just a natural like kind of beauty. Uh, that like he's a, a very handsome guy. She uh, she's cute, and she's got a kind of like a defined nose, like him. I'm not trying to say anything bad about that. I'm just saying it's a it's it's an addition to her already beautiful face. Anyway, that aside, she can act her ass off. Have you seen her in, in True Pitch Grit? Perfect Three? In Pitch Perfect Three, in Edge of Seventeen, in everything else. Like uh, oh hell, she was already in Ender's Game with. Uh, old Indiana Jones himself. So, yeah, I want to see those two together again. All right. Lady Juan, are you excited for 80-year-old Indy? And uh, who do you see uh, taking his place with, uh, you know, instead of uh, old man khakis, a, uh, a bra? Still, women can wear khakis. Um, No, I'm not, not excited for, for great-grandpa Jones. Um, I don't want to watch that. <laughs> I would rather just watch the other movies. Grandpa. Um, I remember when Indiana became a state. Yeah, yeah, I ju- I'd just rather watch the good ones. Um, and I actually, it's I swear it's not a cop out. I would not want anyone who I know 
Like, I would want this to be, like, she's a complete unknown because the character is so iconic and to come in and be taking over the mantle of something like that, like, I just want her to be that character then. I don't want her to be, like, this person I'm seeing in Daily Mail and I know all about her last three ex-boyfriends and her Instagrams are photoshopped. Like, I don't want that. I want somebody I don't know at all, like, a brand new, fresh take on things. It's a good, that's a good perspective. Like, a casting call would be, yeah. you know. Give us some unknown. I have mine. I liked her swagger in Thor Ragnarok. My Indiana Jones is Tessa Thompson. Tessa fan, nice. I am a Tessa fan. I would see Indiana Jones with Tessa Thompson. I hope they do make reference, though, to Shia LaBeouf. I mean, that is his kid, Mutt, Mutt Jones. Um, But I'm ready for his student in his university class, Tessa Thompson, in the 50s, to pick up the mantle. Boom. Now let's get to the big news. The big trailer. A new, full-length, brand new, solo trailer dropped. Chewie teasing his death. The trust no one stuff. Ron Howard. Opie. What did you think of this latest solo trailer? Lady one. Well. I'm glad we're continuing with our sassy droids, and I appreciate that all of our Star yeah. Wars movies will maintain that standard. So your biggest <laughs> takeaway was the sassy droid. Sassy droid that seems to be a compatriot of Lando. Right, uh, even Lando's uh, uh, co-pilot in the in the Millennium Falcon. There. Yeah, everybody's got to have a sassy droid. So that's what I'm most excited about. The rest of it still looks meh to me. Like I'll see it because I'm gonna see it, but. There wasn't anything, I, there was nothing that I saw in this that I was like, oh, well, now I'm excited. Eh, I, didn't, I didn't really get that. I was more excited by the, the full spot that came on the Super Bowl. That was more interesting to me. Uh, what did you take away from this one, Mustachio? On the twisting train sequence, there were stormtroopers in coats. Yeah, there's a lot of fur coats in this. What's up with the coats? I'm digging it. I mean, I mean it's kind of cool. It's like. It's like they're bringing in the practical nature of of coats. <laughs> to Maybe the... they just want to keep up with Chewie's style. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Chewie's coat grows out of his skin, but I know that. <laughs> uh, so in this trailer, um, uh, Amelia Clark's character asks, you know, tells him that he's searching for something. What is it? Blah blah. Uh, one of the biggest takeaways for me was they show Lando and he meets Lando and this looks like there's a, a card game and that is going to be uh, probably the famous Star Wars card game, Sabacc. Sabacc's against the wall. Uh, maybe we'll see the famous uh, game in which Lando loses the Millennium Falcon 2 solo. It looks like we're going to get the storyline in which Chewbacca is a prisoner on the planet there uh, where they're using Wookiee labor and he's going to free Chewbacca and that's of course going to solidify Chewbacca's life oath to Han Solo which is why he hangs out with Han Solo. Um, (laughs) That was gross. So... We're going to get that, and uh, looks like uh, there's a bit of, I don't know if it's going to be on the nose or it's going to be misdirect, but there is the part where he goes, uh, if you trust 
no one or something like if 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 you understand that you're going to be double crossed by or if you expect everyone to betray you you'll never be disappointed right when that when they say betray you they cut to woody harrelson's character tobias beckett and then they cut right to lando i think tobias beckett is going to betray uh, Han Solo. Tobias Beckett. The person who brings him into this world of sm- smuggling and warns him against not trusting anyone is obviously going to be the one that's going to betray him. And um, so we're going to look for some betrayal. I think it's going to be Tobias Beckett. And I thought it was very cheesy that they teased Chewbacca's doom on the train when he's hanging out of the train car and there's a rock coming for his head kind of ridiculous i mean tease anyone else's death except well you can't literally who's tease han solo's or lando's either no so i don't know tease uh the sassy droid tease the sassy (laughs) droid death i think the sassy droid is gonna die as well if i'm just gonna throw it out there tobias and bets right now what about the prospect yeah i feel like he's gonna go I think Tobias Beckett is going to double cross him and take off. I do think Droid Lady's going to eat it. And maybe even Amelia Clark, because that's his love interest and it's going to make him cold. Or maybe she can betray hard. him and then we won't care. Ooh, that's a good betrayal. Yeah, guess I feel like as it would well. be more likely to be her. And then it turns out they're related. <laughs> Can you imagine <laughs> if, if it turns out those two are related? You're like, what is it with what Star Wars fuck? and everyone being related and making out? And oh Game of Thrones. God. Ew. God. All right, so Solo, stupid Solo. We are now going to head to the part of the show in which we are going to fix a film. This week we are going to fix Ready Player One. So... Ready Player One, directed by Steven Spielberg from the New York Times bestselling book by Ernest Cline. Uh, Lady One, do you want to give us our 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 stats? I our, can do that. Our 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 quick info. Sure. So Rotten Tomatoes has this movie at seventy five percent fresh, with an audience score of eighty percent. And the domestic box office after two weekends is $96 million. Um, foreign box office is $297 million, And it did win its opening weekend, knocking off Pacific Rim Uprising. But then weekend two, A Quiet Place took on over. Mm. Jim Halpert Sweet. beat Steven Spielberg. Wow. Yeah. So you know success i mean it it did not stay number one two weekend two weekends in a in a row so it wasn't it wasn't the next coming of black panther but no way it did well we are going to fix this one but we cannot fix it until we first have a bit of a plot summary mustachio sassy summary are you ready there's, there's so much fucking here. Okay. The movie opens in the year 2045 on some garbage pile shantytown of trailers and lean-tos known as the Stacks. It's in Columbus, Ohio. Here we find teenager Wade Watts and many others escaping into virtual reality headsets and hand gear to a place called the Oasis. It's a virtual reality universe of limitless possibilities where you can do anything and go anywhere, And but if your character dies, then you lose all your coin. The creator... James Halliday once had a partner named Ogden Merrow, uh, played by Simon Pegg. Halliday is played by 
Mark Rylance. Fred Armisen. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Fred Armisen's there. Um, (laughs) No, wait. Here we go. Mark Rylance. Simon Pegg was asked to resign from the company. Kind of like a bitter breakup. Now, Halliday has announced that he has this hidden Easter egg somewhere, uh, which if found... Uh, will bring about total control of the universe in like $240 trillion or something. Um, the egg is at the end of a three-key-driven uh, hunt where that requires the players to understand Holiday enough for him to turn over the chocolate factory to him. <laughs> now, it's been three years since, and no one's found the first key nor beaten the impossible race in RoboCop's Delta City uh, where you can be zeroed out or killed uh, by a T-Rex or a brutal brutal King Kong that sees your every move. The main character has an avatar named Percival, and he is without a clan, but he enjoys playing these games with his friends and going on these hunts. The egg is also being sought by the one of the LOL company. Wait, IOI stands for something cool, but so we're going to call him the LOL company uh, who employs countless indebted uh, drone workers known as Sixers to seek the egg for this corporation. Percival meets a girl in the race, and since he frequents the Holiday Memory Warehouse, he discovers a clue to go backwards in order to find the shortcut and win the race. He receives the first key and gets the next clue. He tells his friends, H, Artemis, Daito, and show how to compete uh, it, complete it and how to become... Uh, and, and then they become the high five on the leaderboard. Sorrento, bad guy, LOL company, hires a funny Warcraft-esque goon named Irock, voiced by TJ Miller, to stalk Percival and find out his real name. He gets it when old Loverboy gives it over to Artemis when they're out clubbing. Now, back in the real world, Sorrento has tried to bribe Wade, and after Wade declines... He has his stacks neighborhood destroyed by drones with his crazed aunt and douchey boyfriend inside. Aw, two unemployed trash balls got, got killed in the hey man, you know, trailer hard, park. Hard times. Yeah, okay, okay. Well, there's still just a trillion dollars out there to go find, so fuck them. All right, <laughs> uh, now Wade is rescued by Artemis's real-life resistance-based crew and meets up with her. They find out that this woman, Kira, and Halliday went on a first date. And this later became Morrow's wife. Now, Kira and Halliday went on a first date, and he was too shy to take a chance. So Parzival wins a bet against the library curator about the memory of Kira, and he's awarded uh, a quarter for being right. Now, they move on to a survival round in the Overlook Hotel from The Shining. Uh, while in the ballroom, Artemis takes the chance and dances with Kira to free her from this like zombie dance and win the next key. The rest of the crew proceed the same way, and now they are on to round three. So real Artemis, a.k.a. Samantha Cook's hideout, is found, and she's taken hostage by Sorrento's goons, and she is sent to the Sixer cubicle of Death Hole. Her Sixer self is sent to plant explosives in the Anorak Castle, where Sorrento and now Irock have put a force field, blocking all other players from getting to the final stage. Wade is rescued by his real-life uh, crew of friends from the Oasis, H and the gang. Um, Wade then asks everyone to join him in the fight against the Sixers in order to save the Oasis. Samantha hacks Sorrento's shit and is able to disarm uh, by reciting the creepy Merlin chant from Excalibur. So the force field comes down and all hell breaks loose with a full-blown like nerd warfare with innumerable references and mind-blowing fight sequences. It's cool. 
Sorrento Sixers can't beat the last round of this like Atari game played over a lake of ice. Each Sixer is kind of just killed off uh, each time they try to beat the game. They get to this game adventure. This is the Atari game that was said to be, was this his favorite, uh, Halliday's. Parzival nears the end. Sorrento's avatar does like the ultimate camper move and uses a weapon that kills everyone in the Oasis. Uh, Wade is still able to play due to his 25 cent extra life uh, token from the curator. He plays the last game, discovers the Easter egg in the game instead of trying to beat it. He receives his like the third key and gets to Anorak's contract for control of the Oasis, where he declines to sign this successfully completing Halliday's last test. While in a kid's bedroom setting, Parzival meets Halliday's projection and he's told he has control of the big red button to wipe out or to keep the oasis. Sorrento's arrested and the High Five meet Morrow, who was the curator all along. The High Five share control of the oasis and it's shut down on Tuesdays and Thursdays so people are reminded to go enjoy real life shit. So all Samantha and Wade become roommates. They're cute together. (laughs) The end. That's it. That was it. Okay, ready, player one. Did either of you read the book? I've never read a book. Mm -mm. There we go. (laughs) No. You've you've never read a book? Yeah, I only watch movies. Was there an audio book for it? Ready Player One did have an audio version. It was actually released at the same time the book was released, and the audio book version was done by Will Wheaton. Geek extraordinaire. Ready Player One was given to me to read by someone who does not read books. So I will commend the book for getting people who don't usually read books to read a book. I would not call it an important piece of literature. Uh, I would call it a book written by a super video game nerd who loves a whole bunch of different references and who's borrowing from a lot of other better books and loading this one with a bunch of references that make people go, I know that! Ooh! Right, right. I think Ernest Cline was exposed a bit with his second book, Armada, which was a very blatant ripoff of The Last Starfighter. Interestingly enough, they are making the film Armada at the same time that they are making A Last Starfighter reboot uh armada was not as well received as ready player one so i think ernest klein is now going to dip back into his well and he is writing the next ready player one book because he needs to go back to that however i think this film improved on the book i like a lot of the choices they made with the characters and the story as opposed to the book before we begin fixing this film full full disclosure when i watched this film i had a lot of fun with it i love the visuals i love the action i thought spielberg spielberg's imprint was on it for the better and i felt like the screenplay was better than the book i did enjoy this i i had a good experience in the theater with this movie let's go ahead though before we fix a film we're going to say the things that we liked about it We love films. We don't fix them because we're snotty and bratty and hate movies. We fix them because we love them and because this is fun for us. So let's talk about what we like about this movie. Uh, Why don't you go first, Lady One? Well, first, I just want to shout out to my friend Brian, who read the book, loved the book, and even though he enjoyed the movie, he was disappointed by it because of how different it was. He was he had a very specific set of 
expectations for what he was hoping to see. And, you know, he's not alone in that. There's quite a few people who were really hoping for certain things. So mm-hmm. want to recognize that there is that level of disappointment. Um, there's a reason they make T-shirts that say the book was better. Like, mm-hmm. it's a thing. But I have not read the book. So only in going into this just to sit with a giant unnecessarily large tub of popcorn on my lap. I had a good time. It was fun. I was never bored. I was never like, oh, that's stupid. Like I was just along for the ride the whole time. And my absolute favorite part of it was just the entire shining section. Yeah, the shining section was All so good. All of it. It was just like the right amount of scary and funny. And I love that they didn't give any of that away in all the trailers. Which is not in the book. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. But I'm glad that it wasn't in the trailers either because I didn't know we were going there. And when they're like, oh, it's The Shining. We've got to go there. I was like, what? (sighs) No. No. Like, no, no, no. I started to get all freaked out and looking at Mr. Lady One. I was like, no, no, no. I don't want this to happen. Um, I don't do scary. I'm not good at it. And I really loved that even at the end of it when all the other IOI players are in their war room all doing it and they're all just losing their mind being legit terrified of it i i just i enjoyed it it was so fun and it was really unique that got the biggest laugh in my theater as well the the shining part yeah and that's not in the book if it had been the book it would have been a scene by scene dialogue reenactment of brathew broderick's war games which i think is unfilmable so i i I thought that the the shining part was the part in my theater that had people laughing the hardest like it was the only big laugh of like the whole movie the whole movie was exciting but the shining part got the excitement and the laughs mustachio what did you really like about ready player one it's indescribable what my favorite part is because like my favorite part about it is the fact that it seemed to capture that feeling you get when you beat a game or you're watching the ending sequence and none of your friends have gotten to the end of this game and you're like the only person you know who's getting to it and that feeling of like danger and accomplishment and like the mystery of what's about to happen next and that excitement I felt like that movie captured that so that essence of you know, the adolescence of playing video games and that just becoming immersive. Um, then also, the fucking soundtrack was so good. It was. Oh. Little Van Halen <laughs> to start the movie. Yeah, yeah. And some some aha take on me. I loved when they would play the, the Back to the Future chimes. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. As well. Yeah, I, I love that. Alan Silvestri. What was the song that they slow danced to when they were in the ballroom scene? Was it? I can't remember. Was it like a BG song? That was when they were in the the club. Yeah, yeah. I th- I think that's that's what it was. Yeah, they. Had you the, should the be BG dancing, dancing. Like that's the Saturday Night Fever thing they started playing, and yeah. Oh, it's totally. A- you can't tell. Yeah, it's it was Bee Gees, and he throws that thing down and starts dancing. And when the song starts, she goes old school. (laughs) And I'm like, oh my god, old school. Yeah, that's old school now. Never mind in 2045. Yeah, that's that's old school in 1990. Like, yeah, yeah. You gotta hand it to him in 2045 for knowing some throwbacks there. Yeah, like I don't know a whole lot of songs from the 30s. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> Somebody puts on yeah. like some Cole Porter and I'm like, old school. it's funny with these movies that especially like a a movie like this that's just loaded with references there comes a point where the references are too old for most people unless they're kind of an expert in a in a certain genre you know if i want to study like 1920s jazz then i'll know about that but most people aren't gonna are going to are not going to you know i just downloaded the soundtrack that happened there we go. Nice. All right. Uh, what's on it? What's on that soundtrack that you just instantly downloaded in this world of instant gratification? I love it. Jump, You Make My Dreams, One Way or Another, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, Can't Hide Love, Wake Me Up, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go, Thriller, Eye of the Tiger, Beds Are Burning. This is good stuff. Oh, my God. Purple Rain, Time After Time, Faith. Yeah. When did Time After Time play? It was probably in there for like nine and a half seconds. And they're like, that counts. Yeah, no, this is good. Everybody go get this. You heard it. Lady Wan says, go get it. (laughs) And that means you go goddamn get get it. it. Yeah. Instantly. Yeah. The one has spoken. She did her Jedi wave over the face. You will get this. (laughs) Uh, It's a good thing this isn't a a video pod. Otherwise, all of you will be running out. The Lady Wan's instructions. I enjoyed in this film, I thought that the Oasis was handled really well by Spielberg. I mean, all of that virtual stuff could have looked really cheesy, terrible. You could have not connected to it. And I thought from that first race, Spielberg had me. I thought it was so well choreographed, so well shot. I was like, wow, I love this whole race sequence. And I was on board from then on. I just thought it was all very, very, very well done. So let's go ahead and move right into our fixes. Do you have a fix for us? Why don't you start us off? Uh, How about a nice minor fix, Lady One? Ooh, a minor one? I actually have a little one that was passed on to me by my friend Alex. He was, he's a fan of the book and was quite honestly a little miffed that we didn't really get that Ready Player One in their goggles when they're logging on. He's like, that's the whole reason why it's called that. Why don't you show it? Wow, that is a... And I was like, good point, Alex. He's smart. That is a minor gripe, yet a good gripe. Yeah. Thank you very much, Alex. That's good stuff. Mm -hmm. How about, uh, do you want to start us off with one of your more minor gripes, uh, minor fixes, uh, Mustachio? Minor fix? Um, yeah. Do you have Do you have one that's maybe? It's like simple. an appetizer fix, just like a, a little, little starter. Little right. Antipasti. The uh, jalapeno popper of fixes. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> jalapeno popper of fixes. So there was a lot of stuff I liked about the movie. So in doing so, it was just a hard movie to try to fix. And so the ones that I did come up with are pretty, you know, big. Um, with my, you know, how I kind of felt about how it should have gone. So if it, if I did have something of like a, a minor fix, I would kind of fix the, the sinister nature of the bad guy. I would make him, you know, either worse. Um, no, I, yeah, I would, I would make him, you know, more sinister than he already is. Um, because if he's going for, the jugular vein if he's going for all this he would be willing to do you know worse things than really happened so 
So I mean, I he, he he definitely he, murdered. He people. murders Wade's aunt. Yeah, and who knows who else like got caught up in that explosion? Yeah, he uh, he he murdered like an entire stack of innocent people. Hmm. Is is murdering twenty five to fifty innocent people not not sinister? You want him to murder two hundred people, or <laughs> I, I want him to go full blown, you know, Rogue One, crazy, fucking killing folk. Um, no, I guess not. I guess, I guess, yeah. I, I towards the end, I felt like his character, um, with the way that he was so desperate to kill to kill for what he had, I was kind of confused by. When he's putting the gun to them at the very end, you know what's stopping him? What's what's finally telling him like, oh hey, you know maybe you shouldn't do that if it never happened before. What's stopping him is is he usually gets that one lady to do his his dirty work, right? And when faced with him actually having to pull the trigger and do dirty work himself because he's a little sniveling coward, he can't do it. Okay. Because so the, that's what that's the, who he was all along. Yeah, man. like okay. the lady. He's just a sad wouldn't. corporate, empty, boring douche. old man. Sad corporate corporate stooge douche, which is actually very eighties as well, so that fits in with the <laughs> nostalgia. Yeah. Because every bad guy in the eighties was a corporate douche. Or the principal. Just just a royal dick. Or the principal. I guess uh, if I'm going to go with small fixes uh, first, um, my fixes are for the high five. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the high five should just be a high three. They don't really give Sho and Daito much to do in this movie other than just being there. I thought it would have made for a more interesting quote-unquote love triangle had it been H, Artemis, and just Parzival. Daito and Sho... As much as I love the fact that one of them is only eleven years old, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea how yeah. they get from Japan to Columbus in no time at all. Given the fact that they're a kids and b where the hell are they getting their money to buy airplanes with, and they're living in a dystopian world, I don't know how the heck they get from an airplane to Columbus, Ohio, in the time that they do. And in the story, they're not given much to do other than uh, replicate the key tasks with the rest of the story. Uh, they're kept in the story simply for, I guess, for one of them to do the Gundam wing thing at the very end, which mm -hmm. is not enough reason to keep someone in a story. Uh, they, they really are just kind of tagging along for this tale. In the book, even, I think it's... Daito gets killed in real life in Japan. They, uh, the company, the the IOI people, actually throw him out of a window. That's sad. And yeah, and that's that's the first time that they realize that this is serious shit. So that's kind of like how his character served a purpose in the the novel was for his character to die and show that that IOI is serious and coming after people if they can figure out who you are, which shows the. Uh, seriousness of exposing yourself during this quest. Can I just add in another thing I liked that you just reminded me of with what you said? I love the constant use of the word shit because that's just so 80s to just say shit yeah. all the time. 
Yeah, uh, even in kids' kids' movies, like yeah, uh, the in, Goonies, in, like in the very beginning of Goonies, <laughs> when uh, he he pushes his like milkshake against the window and it like splashes on his face and he goes, ah, shit. Yeah, I I <laughs> I found that to be a nice little throwback too, to just like right? say shit all the time. Yeah, uh, '80s kids' movies were full of minor swear words and <laughs> and some very scary nightmarish concepts that are just not in a lot of kids' movies these days. And everyone's parents in an '80s movies is divorced. All of them are are are, are going through divorce. We're the, yeah, we're the latchkey kids, man. Right, the latchkey generation <laughs> in full effect. Mustachio, how about you? Do you have a small mini fix for us here to start us off? The uh, aunt and her boyfriend. Yeah, uh, yeah, the kind of uh, the very mean, violent boyfriend. Uh, yeah, the one that he like he stole my gear. Yeah, those two. I don't really care if they died. I mean, it's I, I know I know it's kind of you know sad to say that, but I wanted their characters to seem a little bit more like. Oh, we would have cared, you know, if they actually, you know, got killed by in the drone attack. That that's true. Like, make the deadbeat boyfriend suck, but make the aunt sweet, so that when she dies, you're like, damn it, the one aunt that was sweet is dead. Yeah, the one, she's gone. Yeah, instead of making them both horrible, so when the stack blows up, you're like, ah, all right, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, back to back to the hunt on in the oasis. That is a good fix. Let's circle back to Lady One. Give us something a little more meaty. Going back to what you said just a bit earlier about the character development kind of lacking on some of our high fivers, I really felt like the air quotes here love story was super underdeveloped. When he tells her he's in love with her and she's like, what? No, you barely know me. I was like, yeah, no, you barely know her. That didn't make any sense to me. Within like uh, meeting her maybe twice, he's already like, I love you. Right? <laughs> right? I was like, no, no, you don't. No, bro. You don't at all. Like, you, no. Mm -mm. Um, You might like her. That's cool. You're not in love with her. Don't, don't do that. That's weird. He like loves her the way that people would like misguidedly love like an Instagram celebrity. Yeah, it was odd. I could feel like throughout the movie as the plot continued, like, okay, they're building a relationship here. But the fact that he already threw out I'm in love with you really kind of just put it on shaky ground for me. Like if he'd been like, I could see myself falling for you or something cheesy, but not as straight up important to say to someone like I'm in love with you. Then I would have felt yeah. like we were we were actually on some kind of trajectory. But he he just jumped to like way, way, way down the road and, you know, baby steps, dude. So I wanted there to be either don't use that line and just make it like a little romantic, but not specifically that line or give me some dialogue explaining that he's been following her and they did some game together a while back and he's been mm. looking for her ever since or something like don't don't show me that I have seen literally all of their interactions because I'm not on board with that relationship if I have. Yeah, I, I have an extension to that and you may or may not agree with this. Um, okay. When he does tell her that he loves her, she's like, no, you don't. You you don't know what I look like outside of the Oasis and you might not like what you see, whatever, you know. That's setting me up for 
something not hot Olivia cooked. Like it's it's not it's not setting you up for a really hot girl with a little bit of low self esteem because she's got a little bit of like grape juice spill on her on her eyeball. Jesus. But she's thin, very very pretty. In the book, she's not really described that way. She's she's described with a much larger birthmark and also described as being a little overweight. Not Olivia Cook. I would have liked to show him being in love with a girl who's not perfect. He wasn't perfect i mean i mean ty sheridan looks i I don't know do you consider him heart throbby katie is he he's movie average which is real handsome but movie average (laughs) yeah handsome movie i would have liked this handsome you know movie type guy to like somebody with more flaws than olivia cook was portrayed as and I, i i thought that would have served the story better as well uh i'm i'm curious to know uh, any opinions that you both have on that aspect of the the story? Yeah, yeah, she should have been the bearded lady from The Greatest Showman. Yeah, that, that would have been good. <laughs> oh come on, <laughs> it's stupid. <laughs> okay. Right. So anyway, uh, that's my thought. How about you, Mustachio? You got another fix for us there? All right. Takes place. Uh, the setting is in Columbus, Ohio, in two thousand forty-five. Mm-hmm. My problem with it is, is all of Columbus, Ohio, just like this shanty town of the stacks? They say that people flooded there because that's where Halliday was from, or something like that, and um, that there's this overpopulation that's there. But. My- my problem is it, it kind of fucks with the end of the movie because JC touched on this where the sequence in which Daito and Sho and everybody's turning up to help them, the high five are there, and he's asking everyone in the Oasis, like, hey, Sorrento's a douche. Let's not let him take control of the Oasis. It's like everyone in the world is going to come to Columbus. Like, it's, it's I, I wanted it to feel like this was not just happening in Columbus, like this was happening all over the world. So when everybody's reacting and it shows the scenes in which the characters are dying and everyone's just on the streets, like looking at each other, like, oh yeah, we're people. I kind of wanted that not just to be just in Columbus. I kind of wanted it to feel like, oh yeah, the Oasis, uh, people are everywhere. They're not just, they're not just plugging in, in this one city of the world. It would have been cool, like, in that final scene where they're all fighting to see like kids in like a village in Kenya fighting and mm-hmm. seeing kids in like like uh, India fighting and yeah. yeah yeah it, like it, people tapping in elsewhere right. like it's it's happening all over the world it's affecting people yeah. like it's not just in this one you know uh, dystopian yeah. city. So I didn't really like the portrayal of Halliday and the way he kind of dismiss. It seemed like he dismissed the real importance of what he had created when he created this oasis. He seemed to want things keep things simple go back like bill and ted 
he seemed to be this like <laughs> he was like this slacker stoner guy that didn't realize what he had created. He had created probably the most powerful tool of the last millennium. I thought it would be a good idea to flip the script and make it to where these people are obsessed with Halliday and obsessed with Halliday's Easter eggs. But at the end of the movie, Halliday wasn't right. And Ogden Morrow was actually correct. And after winning, because this is something that's missing from the movie to the books, is in the books, you know, Wade and H and them would, they were tapping into the Oasis to go to school. And there's none of that in the movie. Hmm. So take that bit of the book and put it at the end. When Wade wins, he realizes that this isn't just a free-for-all, make Sonic the Hedgehog avatars, try to make money, pretend you're a stripper on a stripper pole place. He realizes that this is a place that can do real things for the real world and he implements schools and he bases the schools off of different famous schools throughout movies and tv and you go to these schools and you learn there's also maybe there are some things that he implements within the oasis that earns money for the real world to try to fix some real world problems because there's some dystopian nonsense going on outside of this oasis and maybe using this oasis for good and making Halliday kind of an irresponsible creator that didn't know what he had created and his own creation uh, he just kind of didn't understand his own creation so instead of that scene where we get Halliday and his kid self maybe we get Halliday being a slacker, asking Wade to play video games with him, and Wade is like, you know, like, that's it. This whole thing is to play video games and have fun. Like, the implications here for the world are bigger than that. I thought that that would have served the film better. And that is my, that's my major fix. Uh, Let's move on. Uh, Lady One, do you have a, a, a last one? I do, yes. I understand from what I've read that um, Steven Spielberg like put the kibosh on a ton of references to his own work. Mm-hmm. That it's in the book and he didn't want it in the movie, didn't want it to be a distraction. And then even like the set designers were trying to put stuff in the background. And anytime he saw it, he was like, nope, get it out. Like he did not want to be a distraction to this being self-referential. And I get that. And I respect that. And that's cool. However, you're still directing it. So give us some of your trademark Spielberg stuff. And I know that he has many facets. Not all movies are E.T. Not all movies are The Post. Like, he he does different things. But you could have given me, like, a dolly zoom, like, Brody on the beach in Jaws. You could have given me that Spielberg face Ooh, that yeah. we have in Jurassic Park that we get in Saving Private Ryan where we just see our main character just being in awe of something you could have given us that and that wouldn't have been hey look this happened in another movie but for like us real down and dirty movie geeks it would have been (laughs) and it would have been a nice little nod to it and it's not like he doesn't have certain things that he tends to do in his work 
he he likes a good handheld cam, you know. You want him to do like the Spielberg directing masterclass. I want to see something so that when this movie is over, there is no doubt in anyone's mind that he directed it because there aren't that many directors that you can count on to always deliver a certain feeling or quality. It's special, and he definitely did a great job, but it would have been nice to see like a trademark Spielberg shot somewhere in there. So I would have appreciated that. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I I do think the movie benefited from Spielberg. Yeah, I think it could have been a gigantic turd had he not taken this on and did it. Realistically, if this had finished and it had said directed by James Cameron, would that have been like completely mind-blowing? Like, no, I could see that too. Maybe. uh, You know what I'm saying? Like, there should be a difference. He's, He's that. You're right. Like in the few scenes that were in the real world, mm-hmm. like he definitely could have Spielberg the shit out of those, <laughs> like those those Columbus scenes. Yeah. Or even if you want to be like cute with it, you can give me a simulated dolly zoom on his avatar at some point. I just would have liked one or two things that were just so clearly Spielberg to me that is what I love about his movies. I would have liked to see that. But in general, he did a great job. I do totally agree with how the stylized, like visual aspect of that director and like what they are envisioning, like that's what we want to see and that's what we want to feel. We want that to come through each time. And yes, I I did also feel like this movie could have had a bit more of like a Spielberg uh, lens flare to it. Here, like basically, if you're going to make the ultimate fan service movie, which is what this is, go full fan service. Uh, Mustache, you got a, you got you got one. My uh, last action hero grab here is the Sixers are supposed to be like following the High Five group as mm-hmm. they get their keys, and mm-hmm. that's how we know like they're progressing. It's like all this like multiplayer universe um, overlay. So we know that in the third level of the challenge or whatever, Sorrento now has the Castle Amarak or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, yeah guarded and the reason he was able to get to there is because of all this like you know just sending all of his drone guys or and girls in through there so that part kind of confused me a little bit I, i later realized you don't have to have a key to get to these certain places when he calls in everybody and says come help us we're in the oasis come help at amarat castle all these people don't have keys. They're just basically being told this is the place. You're right. The end was weird like that. Yeah. I kind of wanted more of an understanding of how he was able, like Sorrento was able to get this information. So I kind of wanted him to, since he had uh, Samantha Cook's uh, character, he's stolen real life Artemis. And now he's got her, like I kind of wanted him to get the information out of her about where the high five are going. Mm. That way, it seems like, you know, he had to do some pretty sinister stuff in order to get the information about. Because otherwise, it just seems like they're just um, the Sixers are just following everybody's every move. Anything more with Artemis and Olivia Cook is great. They already expanded her character a lot from the the book. In the book, in fact, he he doesn't even see her until the end, until after they've already completed the whole thing. 
in fact, she's already figured out the first puzzle before Parzival as well. Yeah, I mean, anything to give Artemis more screen time and give her equal weight with Wade. That's something that's always bothered me about the book as well, is that even from the very beginning, like Artemis was already playing Joust against the Dungeons and Dragons character, but she kept losing. Wade shows up and beats it his first try. I did appreciate them bringing her character out, and she was uh, instrumental in the end. So there are definitely a lot of things that were improved from the book to the movie. Yeah, it definitely did seem seamless. Does anybody else have anything else to add to this, or do you want to consider this? Screen fixed. You want to send us home, Lady One? If you have a thought, something we didn't cover, something we covered incorrectly, tell us. You can send us an email to screenfixpod at gmail.com. You can also tweet us at screenfixpod. You can find us on Facebook by searching for Screenfix Podcast. And we're on Instagram too at screenfixpod again. And you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Google Play, Libsyn, and just about anywhere you can search for podcasts. Please rate, review, and subscribe, and uh, tell a friend. We also have a Patreon account where you can donate to the show. We like to keep the show going on forever for you. And also, we have dreams of opening a one-screen theater to be the home of podcasting and uh, film festivals and a lot more. How about let's um let's all react like we just saw the stacks get blown up with boyfriend and aunt inside. Okay, go ahead, Mustachio, you go first. Oh. <laughs> Here's my reaction to the boyfriend and the aunt getting blown up. <laughs> <laughs> What's your reaction to the boyfriend and the aunt getting blown up, Lady One? <sighs> there he goes. There's another one. <laughs> all right, everybody. Thank you for listening to another episode of Screen Fix. Next week, we will be fixing Shh. A Quiet Place. We will be fixing A Quiet Place. So make sure that you watch that and get ready and shoot us any comments you have about it. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.